Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. So many of the platitudes and pieces of advice the highly educated but often unexperienced leadership gurus out there give sure sounds good, but they don't often make a lot of practical sense. In this episode, we're going to dive into two words that a lot of those gurus say but rarely add any substance to, casting vision. I'm going to show you how to do that and how to reinforce it with your teams. And I get to do that courtesy of Captain Lorca in the ninth episode of the first season of Discovery, Into the Forest I Go. The USS Discovery is still orbiting the planet Pavo, and Starfleet is ordering them to Starbase 46. Let the Klingons take Pavo to save the rest of the Federation, and Captain Lorca is livid. He feels like he's being ordered to back down from a fight, possibly the biggest fight to date. The main Klingon ship, the sarcophagus ship, is en route to the planet now. But Starfleet has pulled in their best scientists to try and crack the code on the Klingon cloaking device. Lorca sets a course for Starbase 46 at warp instead of using the spore drive and jumping. He tells the crew that if they can bust through the cloak, they'll jump back and take on the Klingons. We have just under three hours to find a solution. If they can't figure it out, though, they show up, as expected, and they work with the scientists that they've pulled together. He sees it as a real win-win. To justify not using the spore drive to return, he orders Stamets to get a full medical workup. I understand you've had some trouble with your interface upgrades. Now that you mention it, it has been a little... It all seems fun until Stamets understands that Lorca wants all of the tests run. All of them. Stamets has been hiding the side effects from the spore drive from Dr. Culber, who also happens to be his partner. Not only will the ship officially know something is happening to him, but also his husband is going to know that he's been lying to him. Well, the team has a theory on the cloak. Basically, scanning infinitesimal shifts in the gravimetric fields around the ship. Huh, yeah, that seems super easy, right? Like, in a Star Trek-y magic science kind of world, yeah? Well, it is, until Saru gets to the nuts and bolts of what actually needs to happen. Lorca asks how they're going to track these almost imperceptible blips, and Saru says... By placing sensors on board the Klingon ship to relay data back to Discovery. On the ship. With a boarding party. One that has to physically beam over. Lorca's a little freaked out, but he's game. And then Michael Burnham busts in with a harsh dose of reality. It will take time to gather sufficient data. How much time? Days. Lorca doesn't know how they're going to get over that, but he is confident that the spore drive can make the difference. He goes to check in with Stamets and see what ideas he has, but Dr. Culber lays it out. Stamets is in a bad way, and the spore drive can do permanent 
permanent damage to him. Lieutenant Stamets' scans show a restructuring of the tracks within the white matter of his medial temporal lobe. Lorca responds in the way we've come to expect from him, and he starts problem-solving with Stamets. They figure if they make 133 micro-jumps in less than four minutes around the Klingon ship once those sensors are in place, then they'll have all the data and the telemetry they need. Stamets has serious doubts, so we see Lorca do another thing that we've come to expect from him. He casts his vision. Lorca has been capturing data from the jumps all along, and what he has discovered is mind-blowing. They could indicate alternative parallel universes connected to the mycelial network. Stamets can't wait to dive into this. Lorca believes, and Stamets buys into, these 133 jumps will give them all the data they need to jump into other universes. With a plan, Lorca orders security officer Ash Tyler to put a team together and get the sensors in place. After a heated argument between Lorca and Burnham, the team is going to be her and Tyler. Knowing what we will know later in the season, Lorca is really trying to protect Burnham. My precious! But honestly, nobody knows that yet, not for real, so, so everyone just gets to work. Stamets and Tilly are mapping the jumps while the team prepares to head over to the Klingon ship. They jump back to Pavo, and it is on. Tyler and Burnham beam over and stay teamed up as they look for the locations to plant the sensors. The sarcophagus ship starts shooting at Discovery while it evades. It's cat and mouse, and the chase is on. They're buying time until the sensors are in place. They get one sensor down and are headed to the bridge for the next. On the way, though, they find a room full of dead bodies and two left barely alive, Admiral Cornwell and Laurel. They survived, and they've been left here all along. Burnham attends to Cornwell while Tyler goes for Laurel. As soon as he sees her, though, he goes into traumatic shock. We see scenes of horrifying, graphic torture. He's frozen, so Burnham stuns her. Cornwell, who is a psychologist, spells it out. I've treated patients with PTSD symptoms. He's in shock. He's not going to be of any help to you anytime soon. Burnham leaves them, telling them that she'll be back and goes to place the final sensor. She gets it in place, and then she confronts General Cole. Discovery attacks the ship, and the ship cloaks. The sensors, they're transmitting. Everything's working. Commence jump sequence. And they start the 133 jumps. They pop out, blast the ship, pop in, pop out, blast the ship, and over and over again. Tilly and Culber are monitoring Stamets, and he's starting to fall apart. Tilly, how many jumps do we have left? 96 more. But they just keep going, and outside of Stamets, everything is working well. On the ship, the Klingon ship, while Cornwell provides crisis treatment for Tyler, Burnham is in hand-to-hand -hand combat with Cole. On Discovery, Stamets is losing it. He's spouting nonsense, and his vitals are off the charts. Culber tells Lorca that he has to abort, but we, we know Lorca too well for that, don't we? You do whatever you have to do. You keep him alive till he finishes the jumps. Trillions of lives are at stake here. The jumps continue, as does Burnham's fight. Neither, neither is going well. Stamets is a wreck, but they complete the sequence. Saru is crunching the data as Burnham fights just to survive. Your death will secure my place as absolute ruler of the Klingon Empire. At the last possible second, they crack the code and they beam the team out. 
Tyler, Burnham, and Cornwell. But Laurel jumps into the beam and she gets over to Discovery as well. But the crew has her well in hand. And a Klingon prisoner who's been taken into custody. Nice surprise. Being able to see through the cloak, Lorca puts drops into his eyes. Remember, he can't handle bright lights or flashes. And then he stands in front of the view screen showing empty space where the cloaked ship is. And then he orders fire. And just like that, the sarcophagus ship is no more. Score one for the good guys. They put Cornwell on a shuttle to a nearby starbase for emergency treatment. Starfleet informs Lorca they are to return to Starbase 46, and once they arrive, Lorca will be recognized for what he's accomplished here. Starfleet Command would like to award you with the Legion of Honor. Burnham and Tyler talk. He shares more about his captivity on the Klingon ship back when he first met Lorca. Laurel was not just his torturer, but she also took advantage of him. And he not only let it happen, but he encouraged it as well. It was his way of surviving. He's ashamed but he knows that he did what he had to do to stay alive. She's the reason I've had nightmares every night since the day Captain Lorca and I fled her ship. Lorca checks in on Stamets. He's recovering, but he's in rough shape. Stamets offers to jump to the starbase, but he says it will be the last jump he ever makes. When they get to the starbase, he's going to get the medical care and let them do research on him. He's ready to slow down and take care of himself. So Lorca makes it so. One last jump then. They set up and they make that last jump and things go south big time. Alarms are going off, systems are in disarray and Stamets is in serious pain. <laughs> A thing happened that if you blinked, you would have missed. But just as they initiated the jump, Lorca did an override and entered his own coordinates on his console and it had absolutely catastrophic results. Captain, I'm afraid I don't know where we are. And that's where we leave the Discovery and her crew. They're lost in space. This episode was called The End of Chapter One when it first aired. There was a two-month break between this and the next episode, and I remember those two months pretty well. All the theories and speculation around what just happened, it was, it was a pretty exciting time. But this one did, indeed, wrap up a lot of the early season threads in the show and set us up for something I'm not sure anyone was quite expecting at the time. Come to Quark's Crisis Fun, come right now, go Quark, run! I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. Discovery is Star Trek's first hyper-serialized production. Even in the serialization of Deep Space Nine, they still had one-off episodes and an overall episodic feel. That is not the case with this show. Each episode leads directly into the next, and that becomes super problematic when you have the behind-the-scenes kind of drama that they had on this show. In the first season, things didn't completely fall apart behind the scenes. That, that actually happens later, but they sure didn't start well. The series premiere had been delayed, and before the first episode even dropped, the showrunner, Brian Fuller, stepped down and assumed a producer role instead. Akiva Goldsman joined the team, and there, there was just a whole lot of change in the creative leadership of the project. One of the many ways they managed this was the mid-season break. 
We got this first story, which started out on the Shenzhou, when Burnham kind of sort of started the Klingon War. Then we met Lorca and the Spore Drive and, and all the stuff on Discovery. At this point, we've settled in our crew and the general roles that they're going to be playing. So they bring everything to a crescendo, blow up the big bad. Well, the second, no, actually, actually the third big bad so far. But at least, at least they've all been on the same ship the whole time. And that ship is no more. It's all blowed up. So where to go now? Well, we'll see that in the next episode. But some notable stuff on this one. We get the first kiss between two men on Star Trek. They showed two women kiss way back in DS9's Rejoined. That episode is often heralded as the first kiss between two women on television. But that accolade actually goes to L.A. Law, who beat DS9 by about four years. We also get the first female nipples shown in Star Trek, though they are prosthetic and cling on and are shown very briefly, but yeah, there's uh, there's that too. There were a few things I really loved in this episode. We got peak, peak Lorca. He's close to a goal that we don't even know he has yet, but Jason Isaacs plays it to perfection. He's eager. He can see the opportunity right there, but he knows he has to keep his cool and stay patient. It's really well done. I also love that they saved Admiral Cornwell. Spoiler alert, she ends up being a real favorite of mine as the series progresses. The initial plan was for her to get killed in this episode to help get Tyler and Burnham off the ship. But all the writers saw her as such a strong character, they couldn't bring themselves to do it. Thank goodness for that. There's some great stuff still to come from her. One piece I will call out here, and this is a trigger warning. If you're listening with kids, skip ahead a bit right now, or if sexual assault is activating for you, please skip ahead now as well. About a about a minute or so, and then I'll go right into the command codes from here. So, pausing right now to let you skip. This episode, in short visuals and in a beautifully acted scene between Michael Burnham and Ash Tyler, brought up a topic that isn't discussed enough, and that's that victims of rape can be male too. According to data from the National Alliance to End Sexual Violence, in about 14% of reported rapes, males are the victim. And 1 in 25 reported sexual assaults is against a man. If you or someone you know has been the victim of any sexual assault, you can reach out to RAIN for confidential support. That's online.rain.org. Or you can call 800 Six five six four six seven three. So kudos to Star Trek for bringing up this challenging but important topic. Command codes verified. What is leadership? I mean, it's a word we hear a lot and we use it a bunch too. She showed great leadership in that moment. Or all we needed was a little leadership there. This applies to work, to family, to community, to politics, across the board. We use this term to mean so many things. Today, though, we see leadership in action with Captain Lorca. I'm going to share with you his secret weapon and how he's been able to not only get people to do the things he wants them to, but has made them excited and eager to do so. I'm going to talk about casting and communicating vision and reinforcing people's acceptance of that vision. Before we talk about that, though, we're going to spend some time talking about the often used phrase, the road to hell is paved 
with good intentions. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. First off, if you're like me, you don't believe in a road to hell. It's an oversimplified pedestrian folk telling of what's really out there. A highway to hell. Kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I had to get a little homage to Bon Scott in there. But but how often have you done something or someone on your team has done something thinking it was the bee's knees, the best thing since sliced bread number two, and all of the points to you if you get that reference. But after you do it, people are actually upset, maybe even angry. If we're being honest, it's happened to all of us more than once. This is the difference between intent and perception. This is such a common issue that we have that ubiquitous saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Now, some people attribute that saying to Bernard of Clairvaux in the early 10th century, others to William Tyndale in the 14th century, and some take it all the way back to around 19 BC when Virgil wrote in the Enid, Facilis Decenis Averno, or the descent to hell, is easy. Regardless of where it came from, it's a part of our vernacular now, and for good reason. When we don't know or understand exactly where other people are at, we can end up in situations like this. Very often, a person or a team wants to do something on behalf of others. Let's say a a type of celebration or a recognition. They meet, not including the people to be recognized, and they plan what they're going to do. Then they do it, and the people are underwhelmed at best. The intent was great. The perception and reception, not so much. And that's because you made a decision without the people included. We're going to talk more shortly about understanding what motivates people and how to use that as recognition or to encourage motivation. But you have to find a way to confirm what you think with the other's reality. In this episode, Burnham takes a huge risk which honestly doesn't narrow down which episode of Discovery I'm talking about, really. But uh, but in this one, when she does it, she confronts General Cole using her communicator as a universal translator. And it does not, it does not go well at all. This device is a universal translator. An example of human ingenuity. All I see is another attempt by humanity to rob us of our identity. It's proof of our desire to communicate. Starfleet doesn't know a lot about the Klingons at this point. They've had interactions, skirmishes, but they don't know them the way that we, the viewers, do. So Burnham comes in at this, and and what she thinks, what, what Starfleet would think, is a positive and peaceful way. We come in peace. Yeah, the Klingons have weaponized that phrase. We come in peace. So it does not help the situation. I have a fairly recent example that is much lower stakes than what Burnham faced, but it might resonate with you. I hired a new manager, as many of you did, during our response to COVID. I worked with her for just over a year before we ever met in person. For our first in-person team meeting, I brought donuts because that's what you do, right? We work in an office, so we love us some donuts, especially when they have just the right amount of maple on them. Like, Not so much that it overpowers the donut itself, but just enough 
that it feels like sweet sprites dancing ever so gently in your mouth. Mm. Oh, sorry. I got a little distracted there. So anyway, so I bring donuts and I'm feeling pretty good about myself and how this will create a welcoming and fun environment for us all coming together. Turns out though, she's lactose intolerant and can't do dairy. And newsflash, most mainstream donut joints are making their donuts with dairy. She was very gracious about it, but, but was clearly disappointed. The rest of the team are munching away and she's just kind of sitting there. Now, all I had to do before deciding on my own to swing by and get donuts was ask, Hey, I might pick up some snacks on the way to the meeting. Do you have any food allergies or preferences? Super simple, right? In this case, just a few minutes drive away, the town has a vegan donut shop. I could have stopped there and we all would have been donut winners. But I chose on my own without consulting the people impacted to do a thing I intended to be a kind gesture. What I got instead was someone that was new to the team feeling left out. So just get to know the people you work with or that you intend to do things for. Ask questions and confirm that what you intend is how it will be perceived and received. When you know the people that are impacted, you can uniquely provide things to reinforce behaviors or encourage motivation. Here, I think about Captain Lorca. The Discovery has an impossible task in front of it. They need to figure out how to break through the cloaking technology the Klingons are using to decimate the Federation. To do that, they determine they're going to set up sensors and then jump 133 times to gather a bunch of data points. But first, Stamets, who navigates the ship through the mycelial network on these jumps, has never done anything like this before. And second, the system itself, like the physical makeup of how the jumps work, is just not built for this. Stamets sees the system limitations as a reason this can't happen, but Lorca has come to know Stamets very well. He knows what's important to him, so he uses that to encourage the motivation necessary for Stamets to make these jumps happen. The support delivery system isn't configured to handle the amount of volume that would be required. And that's going to stop you? We get a hint at the end of this episode, and we'll see in the next one, that Lorca's intentions were far from good. But at this point, and for all anyone on Discovery knows, his intentions are great. He wants to end this war as quickly as possible. And by applying what he knows of Stamets, he has paved the road, not to hell, but to align with what his good intentions are. Now, all that said, he literally did take them to hell and had terrible intentions, but, but that's a future episode about a Star Trek episode. But all of this that he did is for nothing if people don't know what they're doing this for. If Stamets was just showing up every day, punching a clock, plugging in and out of the spore drive, he probably wouldn't have taken the risks he did to get through all those jumps. And that's where the work Lorca has been doing since we first met him in episode three pays off. He's created and communicated a vision with extreme clarity that others understand and others have bought into. This, my friends, is leadership. But like I said in the beginning of this episode, so now what? How does that happen and how do I actually do it? Now to start, you'll need to lean into your deep space nine and the teachings of the prophets. It is not linear. A leader that crafts, shares, and enrolls others in their vision 
has to live in both the present and the future at the same time. Let's start in the future. And here's the cool thing about starting in the future. You get to define what it will be. Now, to be realistic, you need to look at trends, any corporate or organizational goals that you've got out there. But as the leader, you get to define the future. Of course, as the leader, you'll be held accountable some level for that vision of the future and, and getting there. So, so don't be ridiculous, but do be aspirational. As an example, today, right now, I'm leading a team that scans paper documents and does data entry to attach metadata to those scanned images. So a ridiculous vision for the future for them would be that the organization adopt a paperless approach and we no longer need to scan paper or do data entry. But if you've ever worked on an organization's paperless initiatives, you know this is a pipe dream at best. But a realistic vision for the future based on analyzing technology and industry trends is utilizing artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotic process automation to automate capturing metadata and using actual robots and robotic devices to handle opening and scanning of mail. It's a great vision, right? It's faster, cheaper, more accurate, and it's going to allow the people currently doing the work to focus on other tasks that require their ingenuity and unique thinking. So that's it, right? I take the information, maybe tell a story with it, paint a picture with words, and then people are all in, right? Well, wrong, unfortunately. No, we can't just live in the future and then tell people about how great it is. We also have to live in the now. We have to connect with the people that we work with in the present. You showed me this invention could take us to places we never dreamed we could reach. Places far beyond our preconceptions of time and space. Find the things that are important to people now and connect your vision to those things and those people. Here, Lorca talks about his vision of exploring what has never even been imagined before. But he doesn't just tell Stamets about the exploring, he connects with him. He talks about his role in showing Lorca what the technology was capable of. He feeds off of Stamets' passion for science and his drive to explore. He connects the future to the now, and he does it in a way that is uniquely personal for Stamets. But that's not all he does. No, he goes a step further, and this is so brilliant. We have to win this war. But then, then the journey continues. We have to remember that the future, future's all well and good, but they are in a for real crisis right now. The Klingons are actively trying to wipe them off the galactic map. So the overriding vision is to end and win this war. But what he does here is so brilliant. And a thing that so many leaders fail to do, what he does is he gives the what's next. We win the war, so now what? Well, Lorca has crafted a plan and vision for defeating the Klingons and then acknowledges and leverages all the work done to do that into his next vision. And that is to explore other universes and truly go where no one has gone before. Live in the future. See the future. Get really good at describing that future as you live in the present. Connect with your people in the now and in personal ways that are uniquely meaningful to each of them. And finally, recognize and reinforce when people help move from the now into the future. They wanted to give me a medal for leading the mission, saving Pablo. If you can believe the irony. 
I told him to give it to you. In this act, in recognizing what Stamets has done in a very public way, I mean, the Admiralty of Starfleet are going to be pinning a medal on his chest. You know, it's probably going to be a ceremony and all kinds of stuff. But in this act, Lorca is putting his money where his mouth is. He's going out of his way to hold up a member of his team that not only shares his vision, but is actively working to make that vision a reality. As a leader, it's not only your job to craft a vision for the future. More importantly, it's your job to get others to buy into and share that vision. You don't need to move to the future alone. I mean, you're already there. Remember, you're living in both the future and the present. You have to connect with people with both good intent and good perception and reception so that others share your vision and move there with you. When you foster a shared vision and recognize your champions, this enables you to start living in the next future so you can connect in the next present to keep everybody moving forward. This podcast just celebrated its third year. Thank you for coming along with me on this journey. I've so enjoyed getting to know so many of you, and I've also loved learning all the things this incredible franchise has offered along the way. Now, I want to ask a favor of you. Please share this podcast. Whatever app you're listening on has a share button. I really love the one on Good Pods. It has a default sharing to a bunch of social media platforms. It even lets you directly recommend it to a friend. But wherever you're listening, please share this podcast. And you can even tag and share the show on social media at SFLA Podcast on Twitter, at SFLA Podcast at Mastodon.world on Mastodon, and on Instagram at Jeff T. Aiken. That's Jeff T as in teeny tiny jumps. A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The seventh episode of the seventh season of Voyager, Body and Soul. It's a Doctor and Seven episode. And if I remember correctly, this one touches on the theme in later Voyager around the sentience of holograms. It even has a race that is at war with an army of them. I'm looking forward to watching this one again, and I can't wait to share it with you. Until then, Ex Astra Scientia. DC, I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the shit? No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.